Welcome to episode 17 of Murder We Write. I'm your host, Carol Goodman Kaufman. On this podcast, I get to talk with crime writers whose short stories and novels run the gamut from cozies to domestic thrillers. We'll learn from them about their craft, their process, and the business of writing. My guest today is Charlotte Morganti. Like the protagonist in one of her novels, Charlotte is a recovering lawyer. For the most part, she writes fiction, mysteries both dark and light, with an occasional personal essay or review thrown in. Although she now lives on the west coast of British Columbia, she was born and raised in Alberta and says she misses its wide blue skies terribly. And if she had her way, she'd reshape geography and move the Alberta foothills and cattle country closer to her home. Charlotte, welcome to Murder We Write. Your writing is set in what reads like the Wild West, with exploding gold mines and cattle. Please tell us about the Canada you know and write about. Did you grow up riding horses, wearing cowboy boots? Good morning, Carol. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I did, um, I did try to ride horses when I was growing up in Alberta. And I have to tell you that I failed miserably. Um, I had a friend who was um, a good rider. She did barrel racing and often took me out with her to ride behind her as she rode her horse. One day I asked her if I could try riding by myself. And so she introduced me to a Shetland pony. I discovered later that Shetland ponies aren't really horses. There's some demon-like little being that walks and or runs with a herky-jerky motion. So I promptly slid off the Shetland pony onto the ground, forgot to let go of the reins, and, you know, the pony dragged me for several feet. When I got home, I was about 13, I suppose, and my mother said to me, "Uh, no, don't think you should try to ride horses. (laughs) But I love them. I think uh, they're fabulous, especially the big ones, the Percherons and the Belgians. Every time we go to the Calgary Stampede or a local fair, I head straight to the barns to look at the horses. The Canada that I know and write about is mostly small town Canada because I grew up in one, so I know the flavor of the town. I love the fact that as far as writing is concerned, everybody in the story knows everybody else's business. You can't really keep a secret in in a small town, so it lends itself, I think, to uh, sometimes a lot of humor and often a lot of suspense. Uh-huh. I've actually been to Calgary toward the very end of the stampede. I remember it was brutally hot there. But anyway, let's talk about how you went from practicing law to writing mystery fiction. What kind of law did you practice, and were you able to write while you were working as an attorney? Uh, or did you go cold turkey? One day you were practicing law, and the next day you were writing fiction. I suppose it would have been a really good thing had I been a criminal lawyer and then turned my mind to writing mysteries. However, after I finished law school, I chose a different path and decided to work with public corporations and handle their business transactions. For the most part, my clients were involved in mining ventures, and through them, I learned all about the exploration 
and development of mining projects, which helped immensely when I wrote The End Game, the first title in the Gabrielli Mysteries, because it focuses on exploration for gold in the mountains of British Columbia. I didn't um, write fiction while I was practicing law. However, I did manage to attend workshops and other writing retreats when I was on vacation from my practice. And then towards the end of uh, practicing law, I managed to find a bit more time to turn my hand to writing some short fiction. And finally, once I retired from law, I turned my hand to writing novels and longer short stories. So, even though you were practicing law, it must have been in your head all along that you wanted to write, that you have this urge inside you. And your legal career gave you all the research you needed on gold mining to write about that in the end game. So tell us a bit about how you go about writing a story. Where do you get your ideas? Do you look to the news reports or do they come to you in dreams? I don't get ideas from dreams. I wish I could, but the I think I can remember two dreams that involved mysteries. And of course, during the dream, I thought it was the best plot going. And then when I woke up and tried to write it down, I realized that it was so full of plot holes. It, it was silly. I get most of my ideas from uh, from the news. You know, every now and then there'll be a headline that makes me think, "Oh, that would make a really good um, investigative story." There's one in a, a manuscript I'm working on right now that was inspired by. Uh, a discovery of a concrete-filled barrel in a lake. And when they pulled the barrel out of the water, there were two legs sticking out of the open end of the barrel. And that inspired uh, the novel that I'm currently editing. The End Game was inspired by environmental activists who were blowing up oil pipelines. And I thought, well, I could change that into mining sites because I know something about mining and nothing about about oil. The other um, source has been the National Days calendar. Um, at one, one day a long time ago, I was looking, flipping through the calendar, marveling at the number of national days that are out there, you know, like National Pie Day and, and National Bake a Cookie Day. And I stumbled across the National Sneak a Zucchini onto Your Neighbor's Porch Day, which is August 8th. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, you know, that could drive people to kill if you kept leaving zucchini on their porch. And that idea led to the creation of an amateur sleuth that features in a lot of my short stories. Her name is Persimmon Worthing. She's a woman of a certain age, and she lives in a very small town. And the very first story I wrote about her was about a woman who loved National Sneak a Zucchini onto your neighbor's porch day so much that every year she did just that. And finally, somebody bashed her over the head with a zucchini 
and persimmon helps the police discover who might have done it. So when I find an idea, then I start thinking about who the suspects might be and why the person who did it would have committed the crime. And then I sit down and I tell myself the story, just, you know, bashing it out on the computer. Oh my God, legs sticking out of concrete. Lethal zucchini. I'm going to have nightmares tonight, Charlotte. You know, my writing group actually produced an anthology based on unusual special days. Mine were National Mahjong Day and Black Friday, not your typical Valentine's and Christmas. Anyway, once you get that germ of an idea, where do you go? Do you outline? I do outline. I I tried to be a pantser and failed so miserably that I learned my lesson. Luckily, um, I learned it early. And so now I outline. But before I outline, I, you know, as I mentioned, I tell myself the story. I bash it out on the computer, and it can be, you know, several pages of just spewing out the story to myself. I also spend a fair amount of time uh, writing out for myself the relationships between various characters so that I can work it into the novel. I... Uh, try to get their backstory firm in my head. And, you know, for red herring purposes, I, I make sure that there are several people, probably three, who uh, have a motive to uh, commit the crime. And once I get all of that written out for myself, then I turn my, you know, pages of blathering on at the computer into an outline. It's not a very, uh, an extremely detailed outline, but it does tell me chapter by chapter and scene by scene where each of the characters are, where they need to end up by the end of the chapter. And I keep notes on who's doing what off the page so that I can weave it in later, you know, for example, if the main character is off investigating a clue in a casino, say, meanwhile, the bad guys are off doing something else that's going to show up later in the story. For um, That's for novels. For short stories, my outlines tend to be just the noodling and doodling I do in a notebook when I'm working out um, the short stories. I don't bother to turn that into an outline. I sort of fumble through all of my notes and make sure that I uh, can then translate it into a short story that makes some sense. Okay, speaking of characters, where do they come from? How do you envision what they look like, what they sound like? Do you model them on people you know or do you see someone walking down the street, let's say a uh, guy walking down the street with a cowboy hat and a bolo tie and cowboy boots, and you say, oh, those, that's not a real cowboy. Look how shiny the, the boots are. And he doesn't have the, the walk. He doesn't look like he's ever been on a horse. Where does it come from? Right, new cowboy boots. You see them a lot at the Calgary Stampede. And as the days of the Stampede go by and those new boots are on the foot 
longer and longer, the limps that are associated with them <laughs> become more and more pronounced. I spend a lot of time watching people and noting how they hold themselves or maybe uh, catching catching a, a note of their phraseology and how they walk and so on. My husband accuses me of staring at people. I like to call it research. I um, also find characters by thinking back uh, to people I know and or have known. You know, as when I was growing up, I had a friend who lived across the street and her dad drove a dump truck. And my friend, when she was 13, could drive that dump truck. She just had a, has an attitude of, I don't give a darn, I'm going to do it anyway. And, and she has inspired uh, a couple characters for me. It's, it's not like I'd take the person I know and put them in whole, in the whole cloth in the novel. Instead, it's, it's their attitude or their breeziness or a comment they might have made that then allows me to build a fictional character around that type of attitude or that type of presence. Charlotte, can you tell me how you developed the character of D.S. Gabrielli as the private investigator in The Endgame? When I came up with Gabe or D.S. Gabrielli, I started with a bit of myself in that I wanted a character who loved the foothills and, and the ranch country of western Alberta as I do. So that's where I uh, planted Gabe at the beginning of the novel. I um, love blue skies, the blue skies of Alberta, and so does Gabe. He also believes that a horizon is meant to be seen and not hidden behind a pile of rock, also just like me. I tried um, not to describe him uh, to any degree because I, as a reader, I like to be able to come up with my own vision of a character based on the hints that the author gives me. So I resisted the temptation to um, tell people exactly what he looks like. And I'm hoping that through his actions and his wry sense of humor and his attitude, readers will be able to come up with their own picture of Gabe. The other thing I wanted to do was um, use the stranger comes to town frame for the novel. So I put him in his truck and told him he had to go to Chequemus to be a godfather for his best friend's child and then set the sabotage of the gold exploration sites in the area around Chequemus, which is a fictional town. It doesn't really exist other than in my mind and in the book. So the, the reason I wanted The Stranger Comes to Town frame is because it allows the reader to see the area and the town through Gabe's eyes, and it also... Um, helps with the creation of uncertainty uh, for the character. Gabe doesn't know who to trust. He, he doesn't understand the relationships in town, and he doesn't really get the subtext at the beginning of what people might be referring to when they, you know, when they come out with a comment or so.
The other thing I did was give him principles, mainly a promise is a promise, which is the reason that he goes to Chequemus in the beginning. And last, I tried to make him someone that a person would like to spend some time in in driving around in his F-150 and shooting the breeze. And where did Persimmon Worthing come from? She's a totally different character. I'm not sure I can tell you exactly where Persimmon came from. I just know that she appeared on the page when I wanted to write the story about the death by Zucchini. And as I've written more stories featuring Persimmon and her wacky neighbors and friends in the small town of Blossom City, I've learned more and more about her. Um, she's a wealthy woman who's lived in the town all her life and therefore knows everything about everyone. And um, that enables her to help out the local sergeant of the police who, because he's only lived in town in town for 10 years, is really quite of a newcomer when it comes to understanding what's going on in Blossom City. Well, Charlotte, I'm all about setting. For me, the setting is as much a character in the book as the protagonist. So I am personally enjoying a revisit to the wide open spaces of Western Canada, I'm also a fan of a really good cozy, and I just love the name Persimmon. So her escapades in Blossom City, another great name, seem perfect for a snowy afternoon with a mug of hot chocolate. Anyway, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining me today on Murder We Write and bringing us into your world of crime fighting. Carol, thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. It's been a fun experience. What author doesn't love to talk about her settings and her characters and her plot holes? Thanks again. It's been a great time. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please join me next time for episode 18 of Murder We Write. Who will our guest be? That's the mystery. Short Cast Club.